Hello everybody and welcome to another message by myself, Dave Hull. It's great to be able to finally get some time to share the Word of God with you. I say finally because it's been quite a while um, since I've been able to share anything. Um, I had a bit of an incident, an accident, uh, managed to get myself concussed. I'd like to be able to say that it was um, some through some really exciting and outdoor extreme sports activity but unfortunately um, it was nothing nothing quite as exciting as that I uh, actually just walked into somebody's car boot door and uh, and that seemed to do the trick and I was out for at least three weeks with uh, symptoms like sickness and dizziness and um, and blurred vision and it was oh it was really really quite horrible really and um, I'm really glad it's over but uh um, it's over now and it's it's done and um, back in action and able to spend some time with you now to share this word with you because I've been really keen just to get this last message um, from the series we've been doing called David's Secret Finished and 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 you know I've not been able to do that so it's great to be able to find the find the time finally to uh, sit down and record this message and I just really believe that. This series and this message that I'm going to share with you today is really powerful and it's a word that God wants to speak into our lives. Um, And I really love, you know, I love the passage that we've been looking at in 1 Samuel 17. There's so much that we can bring from it, isn't there? And it's so rich and um, really helps us in understanding how we can overcome different obstacles and giants in our lives. Amen. So I trust you're all well. I trust you're uh, you've been able to hang in there during this really difficult time that we're facing. But, you know, God is with us and when He's, if he is for us, then who can be against us? Amen. And he is for us. Amen. So what a great privilege it is to be able to have him in our lives and have his word in our lives. Um, and I just want to spend a bit of time recapping just so that we're all on the same page. Um, so we've obviously um, been talking about a series called David's Secret and the first thing that we looked at in that series was the, the point that David knew God. Yeah, he had a good relationship with God. He, he had an intimate relationship with God and he knew that he was loved by God. He knew he was um, dearly beloved by God and he knew that God uh, was in his life and he knew that God was for him. He knew that God, who God was, he understood the nature of God. God wasn't a stranger to him, God was his friend. Um, and this may be, have been, um, he may have got this revelation through his time out in the fields, tending the sheep. We know that David definitely spent time with the Lord there and he, he learned to trust in the Lord and the Lord communicated with him during that time. So David knew who God was and that was something that really helped him. In, um, he had a personal relationship with God that helped him to overcome his giants. And then the second point that we made was that David knew who he was in God, that he knew um, that he was more than just a shepherd boy. He, God had called him to be a king and Samuel had anointed him as king in the previous chapter. And God saw him as not just a boy looking after sheep, but as a, as a future king. And um, everybody else only saw him as just this uh, sort of shepherd or, or a lowly shepherd. But God saw him as a king. And that, that changed the way that David saw himself. That changed the way that he behaved. It gave him confidence. It gave him uh, authority. Um, and he knew that God wanted him to overcome. He knew that because he was going to be a king, that he was also going to be an overcomer. And that enabled him to defeat Goliath. 
The third thing, um, point we made was that David knew God's will for his life. David knew that God had a, a purpose and a plan for his life. He knew, like Jeremiah says in 29, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, that I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. Um, David knew that God had a future for him and he knew that uh, he, he, he had cultivated his relationship to God with God in such a way that he knew God's specific will for his life in that moment. He knew that in that moment God ha- wanted him to defeat this giant and he would enable him to defeat this giant. So, uh, and we too can know God's will for our lives. We can know uh, that, God, that what, what God wills in any given situation but we can also know God's general will for our lives as well. And so we talked a bit about that and that, how that enables us to overcome our giants. And then today in the fourth message that I want to share with you, uh, we're going to talk about how we, David knew God's perspective. Yeah, that In this moment, David clearly he saw things as God sees things. He was able to, uh, to, to sort of come outside of the moment and see things through God's eyes, see through things through God's lens, as it were. And he, he, he talks in such a way that he has a confidence and a knowledge that things are going to turn out for his good, that things are going to turn out well, that he's going to overcome this giant and uh, there's nothing that the giant can do about it. God's with him, God's for him, and if, if God is for him, like we just said, who can be against him? So he just goes out and he seems he has clearly has God's perspective in this situation. And we're gonna look at what God's perspective was in this situation, and we're gonna then we're gonna apply that to our lives and how we then can overcome our giants. Amen. So I'm excited about this, it's gonna be good. Uh, just so that we're clear, obviously, uh, we're going to be looking at 1, 1 Samuel 17. We're going to be looking at particularly uh, verses 26, which says the last part of verse 26 where David says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then we're going to look at um, verses 45 um, to 47, where, um, which, which reads like this. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are with us and if, if you are with us and you are for us then who can be against us and we declare that over our lives today and we say lord would you speak into our hearts and would you use your word now to instill confidence and faith in our lives and lord that we would uh, be changed and transformed by the renewing of our minds as we hear your word in these moments, in these few moments we have together, Lord. I, I pray that you would use my voice to be, uh, to be a, a guiding light and an inspiration 
um, in people's lives now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Fantastic. So I don't know what you think of when you think of the word perspective. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that everybody has a perspective. And it's, and it's, um, it's quite... It's quite easy to say that 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 actually no no two people will have the same perspective. That you know you can get two people in a room and and you can talk about you know anything, the virus for instance. <laughs> you know, uh, dare we talk about that anymore? As if we haven't talked about that enough. But you can talk about anything and on any given subject. Just even between two people, they will have a different perspective. And we all have different perspectives on, on life, don't we? Um, you know, and it depends on where we, the way we've been brought up. It can depend on, on our, our, our DNA even. It can depend upon the experiences we've had. It can depend upon the things we've read and the, and the, the, learn, the things we've learned in life. You know, all these things can influence our perspective on life. And God has a perspective, doesn't he? God definitely has his perspective. And we find out what God's perspective is in the word of God, in the Bible. And He and in the Bible, he clearly shows us what he thinks about life, about, um, you know, uh, the universe, about heaven and hell, about, uh, about who, who he is and what, and what he thinks about us. He gives us his perspective in the Bible. Um, and God definitely has a unique perspective. I believe, obviously, that God has a perspective that nobody else has. <laughs> I can't imagine there are anybody else that has God's perspective. For because he's able to stand outside time, isn't he? You know, he is, he is omniscient, so he is all-knowing. And he is omnipresent, so he is in every place at every time. And he knows the beginning from the end, the Bible says. So, And he is the Alpha and the Omega. So God definitely has a unique perspective and and we as as his children need to find out what that perspective is it behooves us it's important for us to find out what that perspective is and like i say i believe david had god's perspective in this story but before we just go into the text i just want to share uh, a quick story about about perspective i don't know what you think of when you think about perspective but i think of climbing a hill you know, that, the, the classic story of how you start down in the valley and in the valley things are a bit dark um, and you can only see what's in front of you. You can't see very far. Um, but as you get higher and higher, um, you're able to see more and more. Um, and I remember the first time I climbed Snowdon, um, which is the, the big hill here in North Wales. Um, it's, it's an amazing mountain to climb. It's uh, so, it's so beautiful and so sort of um, almost quite extreme, even though it's not that, even though it's in compared to lots of mountains, it's not that high. Um, I think it's a uh, thousand meters, three thousand feet, um, and it takes about three or four hours to, to, to or three hours to get up there. Um, but it's, if you walk, you can go by train if you don't want to walk. <laughs> uh, they've got a train and they've even got a cafe. So uh, it's a very well uh, uh, facilitated and supplied uh, mountain. And, you know, it's, it's, it's accessible for everybody. But I went, I walked, and I remember the first time I walked up there, and it's 
uh, it was amazing. It was a great, clear, sunny day, which is, um, you know, you never know what you get, the weather you're going to get when you get up there. But the day I went up there was really sunny. And I was a student. I was at Bangor University. The first time I'd been there. Um, and I just remember being bowled over by the view you could get at the top, the, the, the vista that you have. The, the, you can see all the hills. You can see all the, the lakes. You can see you see for miles. You can see the sea and the beaches and the little towns and villages in between. Uh, the view is really stunning. And again, I would encourage anybody who hasn't been up there, get yourself up there. It's incredible. But if you do come to North Wales, uh, please make sure you obey the parking rules because we've had loads of people just parking anywhere on the, on the, on the pass up to Snowdon. It's been ridiculous and people have been turned away by the police. So bear that in mind if you come. <laughs> um, another uh, illustration of perspective has, for me has been recently I've been... Um, flying, and I'm sure many of you have, f have flown in, in aeroplanes and uh, maybe a helicopter or whatever. Um, but obviously, when you fly, you get a perspective. And but particularly, um, the flights that I've been doing have been uh, sort of flights from RAF Valley, which is in Anglesey, to Cardiff, which is the capital down in the south of Wales. Because with my work, um, I've been I've needed to do that flight on a on a on a fairly quite quite regular basis. I've done it three or four times this year. Um, well, between 2019-2020, and it's a, it's just a short flight. I mean, it's a drive. It's about five hours, but the flight only takes you 40 minutes, and it, it only costs like 20 or 30 quid, so it's really good service. Um, you arrive at RAF Valley, um, which is a, obviously an RAF base. It's a, an airport in Anglesey. In fact, we have two airports in North Wales here. We have one on Anglesey, um, and then we have one just not far from where we live in Carnarvon, in the in a beach called Dinastinka, um, where, where Tracy works there. And it's a, it's a great little airport. It's a private airport. Um, but who'd have thought, eh, two airports in such, a, in such close proximity in North Wales? There we go. But we do. We do. We have two airports. So anyway, this airport that I flew from in Aria Valley in Anglesey, uh, they have this flight and you, you arrive and you get and you get on the plane. And as you're walking towards the plane, the first thing you notice is this is not a big plane. It's a, quite a small plane. And the propellers are on the outside. <laughs> okay, so the, you know, like with jet engines, you know, big planes have the jet engines, you can't see the propellers there. Uh, these ones, they have the propellers on the outside. They don't have to wind them up, so it's not that bad. <laughs> uh, you get on, and you get on the plane, and the, the, the air hostess, she looks you over, uh, she, and it's a bit disconcerting, you wonder what she's doing, and then she says, okay, if you would like to sit in the back aisle, just on the left there, just because we're trying to, we like to make sure that the plane is properly balanced. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's a bit disconcerting to start off with. You need, you mean the plane needs to be balanced? What? It could become unbalanced. You know what, what what's going on here? So that's a bit disconcerting. And then, uh, and then there's the special seat. Okay, so if you're lucky, you get to sit in the special seat. And I've had that privilege a couple of times. Um, and the special seat is re reserved for the, for people who are able to follow instructions and don't mind, um, you know, opening the emergency door in the case of an emergency, because that what is what the special seat is all about. Basically, you sit next to the emergency exit 
um, and the air hostess comes up to you and says, um, in the case of an emergency, you'll be required to pull the lever and uh, push the door open so that everybody else can get out safely. Um, so so uh, not only do we need to be careful of the weight distribution, but now there are special instructions for anybody sat next to the emergency seat. So the flight is definitely not for the faint-hearted. It's uh, probably only for the brave. Um, and, and off you go. Uh, and you take off and as you go as you take off and you, you, you we get to our flying height um, you know because it's a small plane you can often experience quite severe turbulence and uh, that's also interesting and there have been a couple of times when uh, you know you've you've definitely put your seat tightened your seatbelt and wonder what was going on and and there's been a couple of times as well where we've tried to land um, but we've had to abort the landing and fly back up and circle around and try again which is also quite interesting as well so it's definitely not your conventional flight um, it's a fun flight uh, I really enjoy it but maybe uh, those who are a little bit scared of flying may not may not feel the same way nevertheless the point that I'm trying to get to is that um, on this flight when you are at your at our flying height that height is quite a lot lower than normal flights and because of that we're, I'm able to see uh, a lot more than what you'd see in other flights and you get a great perspective you get a great view of whales because I fly from you fly all the way from the north to the south over the course of the flight you really get a good bird's eye picture in your mind of whales as it sort of as the plane sort of coasts down uh, through the sort of uh, follows really follows the, almost the coastline but uh, you get an amazing view you see the hills and the lakes and the villages and the undulations in the land and I remember I went in, in the winter once and I could see the snow on the hills and where the snow started and where it ended um, and you know it just gave it such an, a majestic uh, picture and such an amazing picture in my mind of what Wales is like you know I was able to see the whole thing from start to end and that is and that is the perspective isn't it that God has he has the big picture perspective he has in his mind and in um, he has he's able to see everything he knows the beginning from the end doesn't he and that and and not only that God sees things that we don't see and he sees things in a way that we're that the, the, our natural minds and our natural eyes aren't able to see because he th sees things in a spiritual c capacity. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't look at things in the flesh. He looks at things in the spirit. He said, the Bible says that God is spirit. And he says, and the Bible also says in 2 Corinthians, that we now know regard, we regard no one according to the flesh, but we, we, we walk by the spirit and we walk by faith. And so um, because we are people of God, um, this is how God operates. He operates in the spiritual realm, doesn't he? And so these, this is God's perspective. He sees things differently to how we see things. And he wants us to plug into that perspective. He wants us also to come up high, as it were, and to see things how he sees them. And that's what David does here. He, he plugs into God's perspective. He, he gets God's eyes on this, on this uh, um, moment in his life. And he starts to speak and talk according to how he's seen things through God's eyes. And the first thing David says that we want to draw attention to is he makes a statement about who he is 
and about who the people are around him and who the Philistine, who the, the giant Goliath is. He makes, and he says two things. And he says it just in this one verse. And he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay, so David there says, says two things. He says, who this uncircumcised Philistine is and who the people of God are. Yeah, because David starts to talk covenant language and he starts to say he starts to talk about the covenant that the Israelites have with God and he starts to talk about the fact that they have a living God who's alive and who is their God and who who is the 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 uh, the the the, um, the God of the of the armies of Israel and he's with them and he's for them and they have a covenant with him okay and then he starts to say and then he says who is this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, who is this guy that doesn't have a covenant with God? And his God is a dead God. How dare he come and defy the armies of the living God? You see, circumcision, and I'm sure you're all aware, was the sign of the covenant. And so David is talking covenant language. And he's reminding himself, and he's reminding um, the armies, and he says this a couple of times, this statement, He's, in doing so, he's reminding us and himself about who he is in God, you know, and, and he's talking about his covenant. And he's saying, well, you have a, we have a covenant, guys. We shouldn't be afraid of this, this, this Philistine who doesn't have a covenant. He's a nobody. We have a covenant. We have, we have God on our side, the living God, the only true God on our side. And we shouldn't be afraid of him. And so he's reminding himself. He's stirring up his faith. He's stirring up the people around him to try and, to try and get them to rise up and face this giant. Um, and isn't that a great sort of illustration and point that we need to, we need to remind ourselves and, and, and do in our lives? When we're faced with a giant, we need to stir up our faith and remind ourselves about who we are in God and who and who God is in us, and, and who God is, and that he's for us, and that we have, a co- we have a covenant with him. You see, David had a covenant, but his covenant was the Mosaic covenant instituted by Moses in the, de- in the desert, um, the Ten Commandments, basically, you know, just to, to summarize. Um, and their covenant was, was, even though it had benefits, it was far inferior to the covenant we have. And David is reminding the Israelites of the covenant that they have, um, you know, the where God said that he'll bless, bless, bless them if they obey him, that he'll and he'll curse them if, he, if they don't obey him. But also that he'll be with them and that he's for them and that he wants and that he's called them out. He's that they're a chosen people and he's reminding them that they are the people of God, that they are that they are special um, and that they are chosen, a chosen generation. But but. Our covenant is far superior to the one that David had. Our covenant was instituted not by Moses, but by Jesus. When he died on the cross and when he shed his blood, our covenant is, is been sealed with the blood of the Son of God himself. Our, the Bible says that in Hebrews 8 verse 6, that we have a better covenant established on better promises. And we need to remind ourselves of the benefits and the covenant that we have. With God, you know, David says again in Psalm 103, uh, 
Um, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases and redeems our life from the pit and um, renews our youth like the eagles. Forget not all his benefits. Amen. We, we, We need to do that in our lives. We need to remember, remind ourselves of what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. And who are we in Christ? You know, let's just focus on that for a few moments. Let's focus on what we on what we've been given through Jesus and who we are in Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we have become children of God. It says in John 1, if you've got your Bibles, maybe turn there. John 1 um, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to him he... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but born of God. Amen. Amen. So we have become children of God, born of God. We've been given his DNA. We've been given um, his His in, um, inheritance and we become his children. We become like him. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 that all things have gone and all things have become made new. We have been made new creations, new creatures in Christ. That we have, we, we've, the old things have gone and actually something that didn't exist before has been made and has been created in our, in our beings. We've been born again. Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And so, and so as children of God... We are, our spirits are rebirthed and they, they, those spirits have the DNA of God. And with, by those spirits, we, we cry out to our Father and we have a, we have a, a relationship with our Father. You know, um, what a privilege it is. John says again in 1 John 3 verse 1, he says, what, what, what love this is that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's is who we are. Whoa, amen, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for, for translating us out from of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of your love, that we would be called your children. We would become your children. Amen. What, a, what an awesome privilege that is. What else have we been given through, through uh, this, this amazing covenant that Jesus instituted through his blood. We've been given righteousness. Amen. So we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 14 how um, he has perfected forever those being sanctified. You know, the Bible says that, like I say, that um, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, that um, he who knew, knew no sin became sin for us, that through, that through him we may become the righteousness of God in Christ. Wow, we have become the righteousness of God. We have been made perfect forever. We, and, and, you know, that means that there is now, there is now no, no place for us becoming unrighteous. We don't um, one minute be uh, righteous and the next minute we're unrighteous. We're made righteous forever. Wow. You know, and we, we boldly are able to approach the throne of grace to find our help in time of need, the Bible says in Hebrews. These are the blessings of God upon us. This is the covenant that we have. What else have we been given? 
We've been given his spirit. The Bible says we are, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And he dwells within us and he speaks to us and he leads us. He says, I will lead you into all truth. I will guide you and, I will, and um, you, they will be my God and I will be their God and they will be my people. He writes his, heart, his, his laws on our hearts. And so we're able to obey him and we're able to follow him. You know, he gives us his word as a lamp unto our feet. And he gives us, uh, and he gives us his presence, his presence, that we would know again, that we would know that we are dearly beloved children of God, and that presence, his spirit, cries out, "Abba, Father." What a privilege it is to know God. What a privilege it is to be called the children of God. And this is who we are. This is what we have been made. We also have been made in this context as well. It's important to understand, isn't it, that we have been made overcomers. The Bible says now um, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. We are made more than conquerors. So, so because Christ overcame, because he, um, because he defeated the devil, because he uh, rules and reigns and is seated at the right hand side of God, we too are seated in him in heavenly places and we are able to overcome. Amen. He says, be of good, you'll have, in this world you'll have many tribulations, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Wow. What a privilege it is. What, a, what, a, what the blessings are we have in Christ. Um, and really, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I'm just skimming the surface, guys. Um, but Jesus has done it all for us. He has made us. He has given us his spirit and made us just like him. The Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 17, As he is in this world, so are we. When you look at your, when you um, look at yourself in the mirror, you may only see uh, a, a reflection of of your body and your flesh, but in your spirit, you are just like him. You have been made his to made his children in the likeness of him. Amen, amen. And so, and so, so we need to remind ourselves of these truths, don't we? And it's important that we meditate and we reflect on those. And as we do that, the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 2 that we are transformed through the renewing of our minds as we focus on the word of God. So I encourage every single one of us to do that, to do that today, to do that tomorrow, to do that every day. Meditate upon his word. But then moving on. Uh, we see that David then also talks about the Philistine. He talks about the giant in front of him. And he says, and what he says is he has God's perspective. He says he's a nothing. He's a nobody. You don't need to be afraid of him. We don't need to be afraid of him. He, has a, he doesn't have a, a living God for, for his God. He has a dead God. And he's an uncircumcised Philistine. And this, word, and this sort of phrase and terminology that David's using is really derogatory. You know, he's, you know the, the Israelites used... The, those terms to describe people who were outside of the, the family of God, of the tribe of Israel. And they, they really looked down upon them because, because they, they, they saw them as nobodies and actually they saw them as enemies. And God said, God was really clear to them when he was um, speaking to them in the desert all those years earlier. And he was saying, you know, don't, don't uh, associate yourself with them. Don't, don't have anything to do with them. Come out from amongst them. Um, be, uh, be separate, be holy, which is what that word means. The word holy means to be separate. And, um, 
And that's what they did. They, 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 they separated themselves and they looked down upon anybody who was outside, really. They had a bit of snobbery about themselves. Um, uh, but you can't blame them because it was sort of charged and fueled by, this, by these commandments that God gave them. But nevertheless, um, David is being derogatory towards this, this Philistine and he's really giving him no respect. He's giving him no credibility. He's giving him no kudos. He, he's like, who, who is he? He's a nobody. And this is God's perspective about our giant. This is God's perspective about our enemy, the devil. He, to, you know, God doesn't see him as an, as an anybody. He doesn't see him as, as, a, um, as, a, as a sort of credible foe. He sees him as a nobody. He sees him as a gnat, a piece of dirt. You know, he sees him as a dog without a bite, as a lion without teeth, and as a snake without venom. He sees him as a defeated foe. He's nothing to you. He's nothing to us. And we need to have that perspective. We need to see him the same way God sees him. You know, there's a, a great illustration in, um, in, the, in, in the wild where, there, I don't know if you've heard about puffer fish. Um, puffer fish, they... They're quite small fish. They're not. They're not particularly big, but they and they have a lot of predators. And when a predator comes near to, near to them, they blow themselves up and they have spikes and they make themselves really big and ugly. But actually, they're just full of air. And if you were to go up there and burst their skin, their air, you know, the air would come flying out and they would just go flying off and they would be nobody again. They'd be nothing. And that's what the devil's like. He's just full of hot air. He likes to make himself look big and ugly. And he likes, he likes to pretend that he's somebody, but actually he's a nobody. The only, the only uh, power he has is the power we give him by consenting to the, and, and falling for the tricks and the lies that he, that he uh, puts upon us. You know, he, that Jesus said he's the father of all lies. And he comes to, he's the thief and he comes to steal, kill and destroy. And, you know, he, he will do that if, if we allow him to. But he only has the power that we give him by, by falling for his lies. He, he deceives us and he tells us that we, we, can't, we can't do this. We can't overcome. We can't win this battle. or We're, we're just no good. God doesn't love us. He's, he's left us. He's left us high and dry or whatever it may be. He lies to us about God like he did to Adam and Eve and tricks us and deceives us in into giving up our authority and giving up um, the privileges that we have in Christ. And then, then he's able to steal, kill and destroy. But if we don't fall for his tricks, the Bible says we are not unaware of his schemes. We're, and we're able, to, we're able to, uh, to come against him. We, we have weapons and our weapons are not of are carnal. They're not carnal, but they are mighty for this pulling down of strongholds. And every argument that sets, him, sets itself up against Christ. You see, see the, there are arguments and there are, there, are, there are lies that the devil sows in our hearts that stops us from from overcoming our giants but the, but we know we're not unaware and we need to use the weapons that God has given us to to bring down and destroy those arguments and those seeds of doubt that are sown in our hearts you know there's um that verse in in 1 Peter isn't there uh, 5 verse 8 uh, says this be sober vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and James says doesn't he submit to God resist the devil and he will flee you know in that verse in Peter we need to read it properly because it says that um, the devil 
goes about like a roaring lion or as a roaring lion, um, seeking whom he may devour. You know, he's not actually a, roar, a, a real lion. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a toothless lion. You know, he goes around like a lion, yeah? But actually the truth is he's not, he's not any big lion. He's just a pussycat. And he seeking whom he may devour. He may not devour everybody. He may not devour me. He may not devour you. It just depends on whether you're going to give him that permission. It depends whether you're going to allow, allow him to have a landing pad in your life. It depends whether you're going to fall for his tricks. But James, but James and Peter both say, resist him. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will flee. He'll fly away. You know that word flee means to run, run off in fear. He'll, he'll, he'll scamper off in fear because uh, once, once we submit to God, because you know, he, he doesn't have anything on us. He knows that he can't get, can't get the better of us. If we, allow, if we will submit to God, guys, if we'll, if we'll uh, um, say to God, yeah, I'll do things your way and we do things his way and we, we, we agree with what he says about our lives, amen, I'm not, I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a, a a beggar, but I'm a prince and a king. I'm a priest. I'm so, I'm a child of God, and I don't need to put up with this rubbish. I'm I'm the I'm not I'm not sick, but I'm the healed, resisting sickness. Amen. If we agree with what God says, then the devil will flee. Colossians is a great verse to understand. Uh, to understand where we are now in terms of our, our relationship with the devil and who he is. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Just say that again because I stumbled a bit there. Um, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Jesus Christ made a public spectacle. He, he did, you know, he, he did several things there. He disarmed the principalities and powers. So now we don't have... Those, those, that word principalities and powers speaks of the, the hierarchy within the devil's sort of army, as it were. Principalities were... Uh, the principle is the head. Yeah, it's a head. That's where we get our word principle for head teacher, yeah? So principality and powers, they're, they're more would be seen as demons. or So all these, all the devil and all his workers, basically, to paraphrase, have been disarmed. They've been disarmed. So now they're, they, they're, they're toothless, like I said. They're, they're venomous. They don't have any power. They've been disarmed. And not only that, they were dragged through the courts of heaven. Um, and were paraded before uh, the heavenly hosts, and they were seen for, to be the defeated foes that they are. Amen. We don't face a, 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 an enemy that is victorious. We, we face an enemy that is defeated. He's been defeated. And whilst his, his final de defeat isn't upon us yet, we've read the end of the book. Amen. And we win. He 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 dies. He he gets sent into the to the to the lake of fire, the the burning lake, and he he perishes. His his reign and his rule comes to an end. We know the end. It says it in the book of Revelation. 
Jesus is victorious. But for those who are in Christ, for those that have given their lives and put their trust in Jesus now, he is, he is a defeated foe. And, he's, um, and we, we are over him in Christ because we sit and we rule and reign in heavenly places with Christ. And we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be concerned about because every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is, is Lord. Amen. So, so when we are in that place, when we are in Christ, then every knee must bow. So every name that, is, uh, that, that, that the devil has sort of um, has put his hand to, the sicknesses that we know, the, um, the, the depression or the, the issues we face in life, whatever the, the poverty, the giants that we face, every knee must bow. Every name, every name under heaven and earth. There is no name that is higher than the name of Jesus. And we have been given that name. We, he gave us our na- his name and he gave us his authority. And we can pray in his name, in the name of Jesus. And as we pray in his name, every, every uh, name that is, uh, that is named on earth has to bow to that his authority, has to bow to his name because, because he has stripped the devil of all his power in Jesus' name. He has disarmed him. That's what it says there. So we start to understand who this enemy is that we're facing. He is a defeated foe. He is a nobody. He is a gnat. That is God's perspective and that needs to be our perspective. And then moving on finally... The last thing I want to draw out is this: uh, the, is these things that David says in verses 45 to 47. And particularly, uh, you know, David talks about how things are going to end. And particularly in verse 47, he says, he says a phrase that, is, uh, that is, is really powerful. He says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sp- sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. The Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. In other words, David is saying that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He's saying that it's not by anything that I have or anybody that, anything that I am within myself, but it is through the Lord that I will be victorious. And um, that, that needs to be our perspective and that needs to ha- be our attitude. Um, there's a similar phrase that's used in 2 Chronicles where uh, the Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah at the time, is facing the Amorites and the Moabites and, um, and he's, they've joined armies and I think there's an army from Mount Seir as well. They've joined armies and they've come out against Judah and they don't. Judah and Jehoshaphat doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know how he's going to win this battle because there's too many of them. And so he prays to God, and God uh, speaks to him through a prophet who says, "Do not worry, for you will not need to fight this battle. For the battle belongs to the Lord. You shall only stand still and see the salvation of our God." And and so they go out, and they instead of um, actually fighting the battle they just praise god they worship god and they they sort of walk out to 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 praise and worship <laughs> uh you know they get the band going and um and the, the the lord sends confusion amongst the armies and they they end up fighting and killing one another and 
the 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 armies of Judah don't even have to they don't have to draw a sword or or fight at all for the bat the battle belongs to the Lord the battle the Lord fought the battle for them and he won and he defeated their enemies and this is what David is saying and this is what the position that we are in as I as I've already alluded to and I'm sure as we are all aware Jesus was our modern day David and he fought the modern day or he fought the spiritual Goliath which was the devil and he and he defeated him at Calvary amen yeah and he fought the battle yeah we no longer um, need to do we no longer need to fight and God in fact no longer needs to fight for us because 2,000 years ago he fought for us 2,000 years ago he shed his blood for us and he defeated the spiritual giant that is the devil he, he defeated that uh, that age-old foe who who is the devil and all his and all his adversaries and all his um, companions they they were defeated at the cross the devil thought he had him the devil thought he had beaten him when he put him when he saw him hanging on the cross but God had another plan but God thought something else and he and on the third day he raised him up again and um, and and like it says in Colossians the devil was paraded through the heavenly courts um, as a defeated foe you know how did the how did the Jesus defeat the devil well because Jesus paid the price for sin and when the the price of sin was paid then the devil no, no longer had any authority in this world because the wages of sin is death but somebody died for the wages of sin they, somebody took our place and paid our wages paid our price and now as we come as and now as that sin has been paid we no longer um, are, are, are under bondage of sin we're no longer held captive by sin and we're freed from that bondage we're freed from the bondage of the devil and we're now translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love and so Jesus solved the problem of sin yeah he solved the problem of sin he he opened up the way the the the, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and he opened up the way for an everlasting um sorry for a new and living way to to have a relationship with our father amen he solved the problem of sin and that defeated the devil that rendered him powerless and um and so and so now we need to rest in that truth you know, and that's what David is saying. He's saying, I'm not, I don't even need to fight this battle. I don't even really need to do much. All I need to do is do what God told me to do, and you're just going to go down. Uh, I think uh, even, more, even more clearly, the, the verses in, about Jehoshaphat explain what I'm trying to say, you know, that he says, stand still and you will see the salvation of God. It's that, it's that idea of... of of standing still and standing firm, as as Paul says in Ephesians, in the finished work of Christ. So, like so, like I say, Jesus finished that work. He did that job. He he destroyed the works of the devil. The Bible says in one John, uh, one John five, I think it is that, and no, one John three verse eight. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. 
So Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and now we, we rest or stand in that, in that finished work that he did, that he completed. You know, do we think that when Jesus came to do the job that he did a good job? You know, when you get a job done in, um, maybe you get somebody to come in and do some work for you uh, on your house or on your garden or whatever. You, they might come to you and they might say, oh, finished. And you'll go out there and you'll be like, well, actually, I don't think you have. I think you've, you've missed a bit or, you, you know, that's not what I asked for or, you know, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. And you might be dissatisfied and you be, might be like, well, it's half a job. Uh, that's what Tracy says to me when I do DIY. <laughs> But that's a different subject. Um, the point is that when Jesus does a job, he does it properly, amen. And there's no half-finished job. There's no, uh, there's no imperfections. There's no being dissatisfied. We are fully satisfied. We are being fully provided for. He did a proper job. He, did it, he completed the work that he came to do when he said on that cross and he hung and he said, it is finished. He meant it is finished and that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. The work of Christ was finished and he did a good job. And that's why the Bible says that he no longer stands making intercession for us, but he's seated at the right hand side of God. What do you do when you finish the job? You sit down. You sit down. He has ceased from his works. Hebrews talks about this in, in chapter 4. It says, he who, has ceased, he who has completed his work has ceased from his work. He has finished. He no longer has anything left to do. And therefore we too must enter into that rest the Bible talks about. Make sure you are diligent to enter into that rest. What is that rest? That rest in the knowledge and the power of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We too must sit down. Not stand up. Not try to do his job for him. Not try to fight that battle for him. He fought the battle 2,000 years ago. We must rest and trust in that finished work. That it, when, it was, when he defeated the devil at the cross, he defeated him once and for all. Amen. I remember when uh, I was, like I say, I've just been, I've struggled with concussion recently. And um, it was a bit of a battle for me, really. I uh, you know, all I did was bang my head on a on a car boot door, and I th and then I was I was struggling with s symptoms for weeks afterwards, and uh, I didn't really understand what was going on, and I was um, feeling a bit sort of disillusioned with it all. Uh, but as I as I sort of reached out to God and um, started focusing on the truth of the Word and the truth that He's by His stripes I was healed. And as I particularly as I began to meditate on Isaiah 53, that uh, by His stripes I am healed. That, that He was bruised for my iniquities, and um, the, the the punishment for our sin was laid upon Him. You know, as I as I started to think about these things. Um, I started to, to really hear God speak to me about this whole principle of resting in his work, resting in what he's done, not trying to get better, not trying to strive and, um, and, and, and fight for my healing, but to, 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 re to receive my healing and to act as if my healing has al is already in me. It's already done. It's a done deal. Because that's the truth, guys. Everything we need, everything we could possibly want to, to live the life that God has called us to live, the abundant life that he promises us, has already been achieved at the cross. The Bible says, 
by his stripes you were healed. That's not you're going to be healed. That's not you might be healed. That's you were healed. It's a past done tense. It's a done thing. It's a job that's already been completed. And we need to trust and rely and rest in that truth and not strive to, to get that. Again with, our, again, with righteousness, again, with inner healing, again, with prosperity. These things have been a, a, a purchase for us by the blood of Jesus, by, by his atone, atonement, by his death on the cross. We, were, we already have been made the righteousness of God. We already have been made the rich through his poverty. Amen, it says. And on and on we could go talking about what Christ has done. But the secret to receiving everything we have in God is, is, living, is trusting and resting in what he has done and, and doing that in faith, by faith, everybody. And, and that's what David does. He, he activates his faith and he starts to speak out who, Jesus, what God has, who God is and what God has made him and what God, who God is in him and how this thing is going to end. And he starts to speak the end from the beginning. He, calls those, he does what God does. He calls those things that are not as if they were. And it, that's who God is. It says that in Romans 4 verse 17. The, the God who calls the things that do not exist as if they did. He starts to speak out his faith. He starts to walk in faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible teaches us that it is through faith that we live. The righteous shall live by faith. And we need to be people of faith. We need to be those who speak out what we see in the spirit. Speak out what God sees. So we, we need to see what God sees and we need to speak what God speak, speaks. The Bible says again in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, um, faith speaks. I speak my faith. I want to challenge you and encourage you today to be those people that don't allow to settle for the status quo or don't allow sickness or poverty to come up on you. But you speak things that you know you know to be true and you declare them in Jesus' name. You declare them. You speak them over your life. Let's be people of faith. Let's be those people that God called us to be. Let's not shrink back and just accept our giants and roll over and allow them to defeat us. But let's be the overcomers we know we are in Jesus. You know, the Bible says, and I'm going to finish with this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Today, if you want to be that person of faith, if you want to be a person that um, overcomes and sees victories, then you need, to hear, you need to have the word of God in your life. You need to have the word of God constantly before you, uh, meditating on it, um, feeding your, your spirit and your soul upon it. Unless you, unless you have the word of God constantly in your life, you will not be able to overcome because the only way we overcome is through faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Let's be those people like those people of faith like David was. He was a, he was a man that that overcome overcame the obstacles that were in front of him. He didn't shrink back, but he faced them with 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 faith and with the God and with the God of the impossible on his side. Today, whatever you're facing, 
whether that be sickness or poverty or relationships, the God of the impossible is on your side. The God of the resurrection power of God is on your side. The God who calls things that are not as if they were, he's on your side. So act like it, believe it, trust in it, and you'll see the miracles happen. You'll see the giants fall in Jesus' name. Okay, I hope that's been a blessing to you. Uh, it's been a blessing to me. Uh, I've got myself, I've preached myself happy, as they say. I've got myself all pumped up. It's great to be able to share the word of God with you. There's so much more we could say. Um, but like, just let's just re- rest and stop striving and trust in the finished work of Jesus. He's so good, isn't he? He's just done it all. We don't need to, uh, we don't need to do anything else. Uh, we just need to sit down and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. You are so awesome. And we, we just receive that today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bless you. If you want to um, catch up on all the other preachers, be sure to um, check out my name on podcasts, iTunes podcasts, Dave Hull, just type it in, or on SoundCloud. Again, just type in Dave Hull and you'll find me there. Take care. I'll speak again. I'm looking to share more messages with you all. Until then, God bless.